As Neil said when he came out, we are uh, continuing on this sort of year-long theme that we're going to be in, and we're going to take some different um, rabbit trails along the way, um, but all under sort of the umbrella of this reset. Okay, that, that's kind of our overarching theme for the year is a reset. And so I want to keep us moving forward in that today. I'm going to ask if you guys would stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. Um, and as I like to do, and as you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to speak, and I'm going to invite you to ask God to speak to you this morning. Yeah? It, well, one of the things that I love is that, that God tells us in his word that we as his people in Ephesians, it says that, that we are being built together to become a temple, a dwelling place by which God dwells by his spirit. That, that as we gather together as the people of God, that God gathers with us. The spirit of God is in our midst. And why is God in our midst? Because not only does God want us to encounter him, but God wants us to receive of him. God wants us to hear from him. And God has things he wants to speak to us. Do you believe that? Yeah, so, so when we're here and we're opening up the word of God together, God wants to speak his word to us. It's for us. God has something to say to you this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you just for this day. Thank you for this time for us to be together. God, thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you, God, just to lift up your name and praise God because you're good and you're faithful and you're true all the time and you're, you're worthy of all of our praise, God. And Father, I thank you this morning that as we gather, Lord, that you gather with us. God, I thank you for your word this morning, God, that, that you want to speak to us, Lord, and we want to hear from you. God, we need to hear from you. Lord, it's by your word, Lord, that we are transformed, that we are changed. And so, God, I thank you so much for giving your word to us. God, I pray that our ears would be open this morning to hear your voice. God, that our hearts would be open, Father, to receive of you. Would you just take a minute and just invite the Lord to speak to you this morning? Would you just tell him, God, I want to hear from you today? God, I want to receive what you have for my life today. Would you just tell him? God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to grab hold of what it is that you want to speak to me today. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss it. Lord, I pray against anything that might distract us or get in the way. Lord, have your way in this time. Have your way in us, your people. Lord, we love you. God, we need you. Lord, we're listening for you. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're talking about the reset. If you guys remember as we were uh, talking about it from the beginning of the year, that, that a reset Right, it, it is something it, it is where you where where something is is brought back to its sort of base setting. Right, it's it, it's where you bring something back to its essence. When you reset your phone, right, like it gets rid of all the extra stuff, all the additional apps and the stuff that you add to it, and it just brings it back to its most most basic level of functioning. But what you could say basic, or what you could say is it's essential level of functioning. It, all that remains is the stuff that you absolutely need. Okay, like 
A lot of you guys love apps, yeah? A lot of people love apps. Their phone's full of apps because we have all kinds of other stuff we think we need, right? Like there's a billion, you got to have a flashlight and a scanner and all kinds of other stuff, game, a million games, all the things. But you don't actually need those things. You need to call somebody. You know what I mean? Like remember when phones you could just call people on? It was the weirdest thing, right? Or like then it was like you could call or text somebody. It's crazy. And that's all they did. That was it, because that's all it was for. That's all you needed, right? It's just like, what is this for? It's to get a hold of people. I can do that. So when we reset something, we're bringing it back to its, to its essence, to the, to the absolute essentials. A, a reset we talked about is, is also a repositioning, right? You have that, that crooked picture that's hanging on the wall, right? It's just annoying you. Does anybody get annoyed by crooked pictures on their wall? Yeah, like, I know you because in my house, pictures are crooked. Like, some people are always like, man, somebody needs to fix that picture. But like, but, 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 but when, the, when it's out of position, right, it needs to be reset. It needs to be brought back and put back in its right position. That, that's where we believe God is taking us this year. God is, is calling us back to that essential place, to that essence of what it means for us to be sons and daughters of God. He's repositioning us so that, so that we can walk out into the fullness of what he has for us as his people. If you have your Bible... Uh, you can open it up to the book of Mark, chapter 12. And, and, and when we come to this chapter uh, of Mark, what, where we find Jesus is Jesus is, is now in the final week of his life. Okay, this is the last week of, of Jesus' life on the earth before he goes to the cross. And, and Jesus is in this ongoing conversation with the religious leaders, the, all of them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Herodians, the Sadducees. They've all been testing Jesus. They've been asking Jesus all these questions with a hope of trapping him with his answers. Okay, only it's not working. They, they, they come to Jesus with something and they think, ah, we got him. Nope, he answers them in a way they don't know what to do with it. They, they come to Jesus again with another question, he still gets them. Th three times they've done this. And finally, on this last uh, attempt, one of the scribes, a scribe was, a, was, a, was an expert of the law. A scribe was somebody who literally all they would do all day is sit around and write the scriptures over and over and over and over again. And so they knew what the scripture said. And in this final questioning of Jesus, it's a scribe who, who comes to him and has a question to try and trap Jesus. And we find that beginning in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And it tells us, it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, 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 first of all, we know that the scribe didn't ask Jesus this question because he was honestly interested in his answer, okay? The, the, the scribe didn't, wasn't really looking for Jesus to give him the, quote, right answer in that he was hoping to trick Jesus by making him give him an answer because, because in that day, in that time, in the law, there were some 613 
laws for the Jewish people that they attempted to follow from the Torah. Uh, and, and there were things like the Ten Commandments, and, and the laws were, were divided into affirmative and, and negative laws. It was said that, that there was enough laws to account for every bone or every part of the human body as they understood it, and, every, and a law for every single uh, day of the year, so that then all of you was covered by the law. They organized the laws then in what they called light and heavy laws. And the light laws were more seen as kind of semi-optional, and the heavy laws were like the things you better do, okay? And so this scribe comes and he asks Jesus what seems to be an impossible question, because if God said all these things, right? If God gave all these commands, if God made all these decrees, if God gave these laws, then who is this Jesus to say which one is the most important, right? How is Jesus going to say that of all the things God said, this one matters the most? I mean, certainly the Ten Commandments have to all be equal the same, right? Moses came down from a mountain with those, right? That's like a huge deal. What, what could Jesus possibly say? What, what's the most important, right? I, I, I think that in, in our own lives, in our own faith, we can find ourselves in, in a bit of a similar kind of situation where, where we're looking at our life, we're looking at all the things that are before us, we're looking at all the things that, that God has given to us, and we're like, man, what, what, what do I do? What, what, what's the priority here? What comes first? I mean, aren't these all good things? Aren't, aren't all these things things that I have to deal with? Aren't all these things things that matter? I mean, I don't, have you ever found yourself there where you're just like, I'm not sure which one to do first or what to do next or, or what the priority is? here? What do I pick, right? The, the hardest things to pick in our life is not like here's a good thing and here's a bad thing. It's here's 10 good things, right? What do I do with those things? But here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't miss a beat, right? Jesus isn't like, that's a great question. Give me some time to think about it. I'll get back to you tomorrow, right? Any of that stuff. Jesus immediately answers him. And he tells him plainly, look at this, verses 29 to 31. He says, the most important one, answers Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, now, now we read that today and we're like, man, that's good, Jesus. Yeah, right? And it is, but Jesus didn't just make this up. Okay, Jesus actually quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus draws from the law that was given to Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verses 4 and 5. What is known to the Jews is the Shema. This was, this was something that, that all the Jews would have known because it was something that they would have recited twice every single day. Something they heard all the time in their synagogues. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 was their John 3, 16. Okay, so like they, like they would have had the Shema guy at the sporting events, right? Like they would have had like the Shema guy with like Deuteronomy 6 on a sign painted on his chest, right? All that stuff. Like that, that was their John 3.16 guy, okay? Uh, everybody knew that. And, and this word love 
even back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy is this Hebrew word, aheb, and it's a verb, and it's the highest kind of love. One that is a love that's more than just something that you feel. It's a love of dedication. It's a love of commitment. It's a love of the will and of the mind and of action and of purpose. And this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees, to the people, and to us is the most important. Jesus says, listen, if you're looking for what the first thing is, let me tell you, this is to be the greatest priority of your life, to love God with all, with our entire being, with your passion and your affection and your intellect and your action with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, to all fully participating in this sold-out devotion to God. Every faculty and every capacity of our being is meant to express the fullness of our love for God, the fullness of all the ways that we treasure him. There isn't meant to be anything in us, about us, or from us that is not loving God. This is a love that is meant to dominate our emotions, direct our thoughts, and be the dynamic of all of our actions. It doesn't mean that we don't love anything else. It simply means that everything else we love is born out of an expression of our love for God. Do you know what God wants more for your life than anything else is your love. It's, it's to be with you. You can write this down if you have your notes. What, what God wants most is not my doing for him, but my being with him. What God wants most first is not me doing a bunch of things that I think are good religious things or, or good practices. Or good. What God wants most for my life, first for my life, is me to be with him. Christianity is not primarily religious, dutiful doing. It is a relationship of lovingly being. And it's always been this way for God. From the very beginning, from the creation of man, when God walked with man in a garden, it was about being with mankind. Some people believe that the Old Testament is, is, is different from the New, and that the Old Testament is just about laws and, and rituals and dutiful obedience, but the New Testament is all about, about love and relationship. But that's actually not true. Even back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, even back when, when God, in what they knew as the, the Shema, even back when God said the same thing, Jesus is saying in the New Testament to love God with all your heart and soul and, and, and strength. In verse 6, it actually says, in these commandments that I give to you are to be on your hearts. God has always been after hearts. God has always been about love. There's this great scene in the Gospels where Jesus just goes off on the religious leaders for doing all of their religious works without really having a heart of love for God. And in Matthew 23, 25 and 26, Jesus says this. He says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says about them, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Jesus says that it's possible to do good things with a wrong heart. It's possible to do good and not be good. Our obedience is, is meant to flow out of love and not duty. It has to start in you. It's like Gatorade, okay? It's like, do you have it in you? It's got to be in you, okay? That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. It's got to work from the inside out. It's all about relationship with God. And every other part of our life is meant to be an outflow of that relationship. Listen to what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 and 5. He says this. He says, listen, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That sounds like a great people. They're doing great stuff. They're doing all the things. They're doing it right. And then next he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now when he's saying repent and do, do the things you did at first, he's not saying, no, 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 it's just that you, there's these other great works that you're supposed to do. When he's saying do, the first thing is your love for me, he's drawing them back to that relationship. Jesus is like, come on back, right? You're doing great. You're working hard, right? You've endured things for my name, but I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about our relationship. I'm most interested in your love for me. I'm primarily interested in our relationship. And you're forsaking me, your first love. So repent and turn back and come to me. I, I think what sort of strikes me as funny about even that statement from Jesus is he kind of sounds selfish and needy, right? Like it's like easy, Jesus, right? Like, man, like, Jesus, what's up with that, right? Like, come back. Are you, aren't these things all important? Don't these things all matter? It's, it sounds selfish, but, but, but actually this is God being the most loving he could possibly be because at the end of the day, what God knows is that the very best thing for our life, for our heart, for our soul, for our mind, for our strength, for our joy and our hope and our faith is to be with him. He is actually calling us and inviting us back into what is absolutely Absolutely best for him himself. And that's what God wants. God is the only person who can ever put distance in a relationship on the other person. He, he's the only one, right? Because usually what, what do we say? Relationships a two-way street, right? Like, man, we got here's the thing though, God's always doing his part. Okay, so like, like distance in a relationship with God isn't like, well, God, I was waiting on you. Well, God, I showed up and you didn't. Well, God, I was taking care of things and I, you didn't call me back, right? Or whatever it is, right? Like the, if there's ever distance in our relationship with God, it's always on our side. God's always available. He's always present. He's always with us. He's always pursuing us. He actually made his home in us. <laughs> that's crazy. That's how close he wants to be. That, that's how much he wants relationship with us. God's not even like, hey, I'm available. Just give me a call. He's like, I'll actually be in you. I'm, I'm right here. 
I'm right here. I'm available to you all the time. He's always beckoning us to commune with him. Here's my first question for you. How's your relationship with God? Where are you in God this morning? Are you close? Is there distance? Are you pursuing him? Are you spending time with him? Are you growing with him? Are you getting closer or does he seem further away? Jesus speaks to four areas of our love here in the text. And I just want to just touch on those briefly. The first one he speaks to is our heart, right? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now our heart, we know, is not our physical heart, right? It's, it, when we say, like, I love you with all of my heart, it's not like I love you with this thing that's beating in my chest, right? That's weird, for one. And, and it's just not very meaningful, right? Like, like when we say, I love you with my heart, we're saying that, that I love you with my, with my passion. I love you with all that I am. I love you with all my heart, right? Your heart is the core of your being. It's your identity. It's the deepest and truest part of who you are. It's the place of your deepest longing and greatest passion. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says to us, above all else, guard your heart. Okay, for it's the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it. It is your center. Jesus is saying uh, to love God with all that you are, to have him at the center, that, that he is to be your deepest longing, your greatest passion, so that your identity and character and desire, that all of you is founded in all of him. King David in Psalm 73 said it like this. He said, for I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a heart of love for God. Does that sound like your heart? Does it sound like your heart where it's just like, God, I'm always with you. God, I'm seeking your counsel. God, I'm trusting you. I'm being strengthened by you. That, that is, is God your greatest portion and your greatest desire? If you were honest this morning, who or what really has your heart? Jesus then says, he says, love God with all your soul, Right? Now, now, now your soul would be your, your emotional life. It's, it's your affections. It's, it's your feelings. Jesus says in Matthew 26 that his soul is sorrowful. David would speak to his soul and he'd say things like, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Right? Our, our soul is where we feel. It's where we experience things like the peace of God and the joy of God and the hope of God and, and even righteous anger. That's all our soul. How, how many of you guys know this morning that God made you to feel? Like sometimes in our life, we think that there ought to be a disconnect from our feelings and from, from spiritual things. But, but God made us to feel. God feels. Our, our, our feelings are actually meant to be good and useful. But, but just like all things that God creates, they can be corrupted. They, they can be manipulated, right? The, the enemy gets in there and he gets it all out of whack. And so, so instead of our feelings, our emotions being in line with God's emotions, ours are all over the map. We were made to feel. And, and Jesus says, Man, we love God with all your soul. Now, now this doesn't mean that we just have feelings for God. 
okay? Uh, or that we feel things that we're with God. That means all of our feelings are meant to be an expression of our love for God. That, 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 that even our feelings are expressing who he is. That our, that our feelings are rooted in him. That, that we feel the things God feels. How, how, how's your soul this morning? How are you doing emotionally, church? How you doing? How you doing with your emotions? How, how you, how's your soul? Honestly, if you were honest, would you would you consider your emotional life and say, "Man, when I think about my emotional life, I'm just loving God with all my soul." Jesus says, thirdly, he says, "Love God with all your mind." This is your intellectual life. This is your thought life. This is the place of reason and understanding where, where belief lives in our mind that di- distinguishes between truth and lie. This is why in Romans 12, 2, it tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians ten five that we as Christians, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ, right? Where are your thoughts? In your mind, okay? So like we take captive thoughts and we make those obedient to Christ. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God cares about your thoughts, God, we're meant to love God with our minds by having minds that are set upon, upon him and his truth. Some people, when they talk about Christianity, talk about it in a way that says, well, if you're really gonna be a person of faith, you gotta turn off your mind, right? God doesn't say that. He says, love me with your mind, right? You don't turn it off. You, you have it tuned in. The, the Bible says that we ought to be able to reason, to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ, meaning that we have to actually know some things, not just feel some things. And what we know has to be God's truth and not just our experience of things. We're meant to know. C.S. Lewis once said that God is no fonder of intellectual slackers, no more fond of intellectual slackers than he is of any other slacker. He said, if you are thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you that you are embarking on something that will take the whole of you, brains and all. This very book that we love, that we turn to, that we read, right, is the result of some devoted minds who were filled by the Spirit of God to bring forth God's truth to us. How are you loving God with your mind, church? How about this question? What is it that primarily fills your thought life? What is it that you find yourself meditating on? Jesus says, love God with all your mind. Here's the fourth one that Jesus says, love God with all your strength. Right? Your strength is your, your physical life. It's your, it's your body and your activity. It's the things that you do. Acts 17, 29, uh, 28 says that for in him we live and move and, and have our being, that, that God gave us a body. He actually did that on purpose, if you didn't know. Uh, um, and, and he gave us a body not just to uh, 
uh, for our own joy, but ultimately for his glory. Okay, your body, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Do you think that if God gave you a body to be a temple where the Spirit of God dwells, that, that God cares what you do with it? We're to love God with how we care for our body, how we use our body, our faculties. Love isn't just in us. Love is meant to be expressed from us in action by the use of this body that God gave us. 1 John 3.18 tells us, don't not, don't, Dear children, let us not merely love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Like We're not just supposed to know some stuff, feel some stuff, have some stuff in here. That, that It's supposed to come out of us out here using our body, right? Even our worship, even praise, when you read about praise in Scripture, it's not think, something you think so much in your brain. It's something that you do. There's all kinds of expressions in praise in Scripture, clapping and shouting and singing and yelling, all kinds of stuff because it's meant to be an expression with our being. Right? The Apostle Paul went so far as to write in, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, listen, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it, whatever you're doing, do it out of love for God. Every part of you is meant to be an expression of loving God. How are you doing with loving God with all your strength? How are you loving God with your, with your body? How are you loving God with the things you're doing? Jesus, obviously his point was that, look, our love for God is meant to be this whole thing. We don't get to divide parts of us and go like, well, you know, while I'm over here doing these things that, that have nothing to do, have no business of God, but you know what? I'm loving him in my heart, right? I, I, right? All of us have either said that or met people who've said that, right? It's like we're out there living crazy and we're like, but you don't know my heart because I'm loving God in my heart. It's like, mm. you think so? Right? And God's like, you don't get to separate your life out like that. You, you love me with all. That's the call. That's the most important thing. I love that. He came to Jesus and he said, what's the most important? And Jesus told him, love God with all of you. That's the priority. That, that's the first place. What, what I love about Jesus, though, is that he only asked him for one thing and he gave him two, Right? Like, you always get extra with Jesus, you know? So he's just good like that. It's like you get that extra, never mind. So <laughs> anyways, right? So the guy didn't ask him what was the second thing. Jesus just jumps in. He goes, hey, hey, and the second one, it's, it's similar. It's like the first, okay? So I'm going to give this one to you, right? Verse 31 it says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So he asked for one. Jesus gives him two. Jesus says, listen up, church. The most important commandment, the first thing, is to love God. Love me with all. Don't miss that. Uh, but let me tell you what's next, okay? Next is love other people. This speaks to both, of, both your relational life and ultimately your missional life. Okay, because uh, again, the, 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 just like the first commandment, this commandment that Jesus gives is also not a new commandment. Okay, God said the same thing all the way back in the book of Leviticus. Okay, I, so for some of us that's hard to believe because we think Leviticus is all about like molds and, and animals and legalistic rules we don't need to follow anymore, right? But, but Leviticus, uh, 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 it, 
God speaks to his people. And it's this whole long list in Leviticus chapter 19 about all the things that God is telling them to do. Okay, the whole, the, pretty much the whole chapter. And smack dab in the middle of that chapter, in, in verse 18, it is where God says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus says, love God and then love people. And that's the priority in that order. And of course it is because to love God is ultimately to love what God loves. And what God loves is people. God's desire is that we would be a reflection of him and that we would carry his heart and the love that he has for others. I think one of the best expressions of this we find right at the cross of Jesus. And Jesus is actually on the cross, and we go there in John chapter 19, and verses 25 to 27, it says, Near the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister, and Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So, so Jesus is on the cross, they're, they're by the cross. Jesus' mother is even there. She, she's just there watching. I, I, I mean, what an amazing thing that had to be for Jesus. Mom, nonetheless, right? I mean, this woman who, who carried Jesus is now watching her son die on a cross for her sake. And to think even about how hard that must have been for her to, to just be there with him. Uh, I, one of the things that I love about that too is the fact it doesn't say that, that his mom said anything to him. Right? It doesn't give us anything that, that, that Mary had to say to Jesus. She was just there with Jesus. I, I think sometimes the, the greatest testimony of our love, right, of our love for other people, it's, it's not even the words we're going to say to them. It, it's simply the fact that we'll be with them. This cast of characters that's there, right, is, is there to be with Jesus. And Jesus looks at them in verse 26 and says, When he saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved being John, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, it says, This disciple, that's John, took her into his home. Jesus is dying on a cross, right? He's, he's being crucified. He's already been tortured. And Jesus is thinking about them. I, I think for most of us, if we're honest, like we get a cold and we can't think of anybody else. Right? Like, like, like I, you get a headache, the rest of the world doesn't matter. Right? It's like, I, I, man, I'm not feeling good. Right? It's like you come, you walk up to somebody who's not feeling good and, and, and right? And they're not like interested in like, hey man, how you doing, right? Because the moment, that, and even if they do, you know if that's you, you feel terrible and like, hey, how you doing? You're hoping they don't tell you, right? You're sort of like, man, I hope they just say good and move on because you don't care. It's like, I feel terrible right now, right? We get super selfish when we're dealing with stuff, right? When we're suffering, when you're really going through things, you just don't get too concerned about other people. It's hard to hear about other people's pain when you find yourself in the midst of your own. I don't, Jesus wasn't like that, right? Jesus was looking to the needs of others while he, while he himself was dying for them. And, and, and he didn't wait till after he got up from the grave to care, right? Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's bleeding for them, and he's caring about them. Isn't that amazing? Right? 
Does anybody else want to be more like that? Like, I'm just like, I need to be more like Jesus. Man, like, most of us tend to think, you know when I'm going to care about people? You know when I'm going to serve them? You know when I'm going to help? Whatever is when I'm better, right? And I don't know if you've arrived at better yet, whatever better means, but it's sort of like when I get better, when I have more, when I whatever. And we're always seemingly waiting to be better. And Jesus didn't wait until he got up. Jesus was going through his own and considering how he might help them. Now, now, now we have to see this because the, the reason Jesus could give, right, like this, it, it is because Jesus already had this. It, this was a response to this. Okay, Jesus already had all the intimacy here with the Father. Jesus was secure in his Father. Jesus trusted the Father. There, there was an affirmation. There was his identity. It was already received. The sky had already opened up, and the God had said, this is my son whom I love, right? And so, so no matter what, right, like to give and to bless and, and, and to love and to serve, here all of that was just a response to here. This love was a response, an overflow of this love. This love made this love possible. One of the problems that we often run into in our own life is that we keep trying to do it in reverse order. Right? We keep looking for people to do for us and be for us what only God can really be for us and do for us. We keep turning to people to fill us in ways that only God can. And oftentimes it isn't that the people around you aren't giving you all that they can. It's that they really can't give you what you really need. And if you don't have it here, right? If you don't really have it here, you won't really find it here. If you haven't received it here, you're not going to receive it here. We love God, and in response to that, we love others. And this is what Paul said to the church in Philippians 2. He said, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, if you have this, you're united with God, you're, you're receiving his love, you're sharing in his Spirit, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to interests of others. This love leads us to this love. See, one of the things we have to know is that it's possible to love people and not love God. But it's impossible to really love God and not love people. Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 4.20. He says, whoever claims to love God but hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever doesn't love their brother or sister who they see can't love God who they have not seen. If you love God, you'll love other people. That's the movement, okay? It's the call of God for us to love others. The last instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples, right? Neil talked about this last week. Mark chapter 16, 15, the great commission. Jesus says, go into the world, proclaim the gospel to all of creation, right? It's the last thing Jesus leaves. But what Jesus is doing is connecting the great commandment back to the mission because they go together, Okay, so, so why does Jesus do that? Because, because this is what it's about. Because ultimately, the best way for you to possibly love other people is to give them Jesus. Like, like we're interested in giving people so many things, which is good. You, there's a lot of good we can do. But there isn't a thing you can give to somebody better than Jesus. 
There's not a thing you can share with someone better than Jesus. And so Jesus, last instruction, he's not getting us away from the great commandment. He's leading us right into it. He's taking us right there to sharing in our truest calling as his sons and daughters, as his ambassadors on the earth, to love people with his gospel. To share this father, to share this God that we know, this love that we've encountered, this love we experience, this truth that God has ministered to us with the world around us that they might know and be saved. And that's an amazing invitation of God. How, how's your relationships this morning? How, how, how are you doing in the mission, church? How, how are you sharing Jesus with people? It, it, it's one thing for people to know that you care about them. It's another thing for people to know Jesus because you're sharing him with them, right? Like you, it's one thing for people to know you. It's something totally different for them to know Jesus, okay? Are, are we sharing Jesus with people? Are we sharing his life with is, is our life, is your life reflecting who he is? I'm going to have Noel come back up. I'm gonna, we're going to do something together this morning. The, the, the call of God to us, church, right? Love me with all. That's the priority. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love others as yourself. This is where we're going. This is going to be the journey that we're on.